Thanks for listening to the podcast of First Alliance Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For more information about our church or to watch a video recording of today's message, visit us online at facws.org. That's not watching out there. Um, but uh, we are going to have fun with that bird does not want to leave for sure. Uh, it's flying right there by the door. It says, nope, I like it in here. So uh, I'm going to try not to uh, be distracted, and I hope that you will be able to listen. And if not, you can watch this later, and hopefully he'll stay out of the camera so when you watch it later, you can get something. Um, but uh, it's good to, to see you, and I'm glad at least some of you showed up, so I'm not looking at a camera. I hate just looking at a camera. Um, but uh, it, it is nice to have everyone here, and then, uh, of course, everyone that's uh, watching us online, wherever you are, uh, it's good to, uh, to be alive. So let's just start with a word of prayer. And Father, we thank you for a new day. Thank you for the beautiful weather. Uh, so beautiful that the, we have a, a friend this morning. And uh, we just want to thank you, though, uh, for your sovereignty, uh, your faithfulness to us. You've kept us alive throughout the night. We were asleep last night, weren't thinking about our heart beating or anything else. You sustained us. And so we woke up this morning and you've given us the health and strength to be either here or at least uh, awake and alive and watching uh, somewhere else. And we uh, just thank you for that. We uh, look forward to what you have to teach us this morning. And we pray that you would strengthen our faith and uh, our anticipation of all the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. Um, thank you for your word that gives us those that we can uh, not only hear and read what you've given to us to be able to look at and read, but you've given us your spirit and you've given us experiences that we can uh, put together to strengthen our faith. And so we thank you for all of these things and we thank you for all of it in the name of the Messiah, Jesus. Amen. So uh, I had a completely different sermon uh, planned and I was going to have a big box of gifts and uh, it was going to be fun, uh, but um, something changed, and so I, I went a little different route, so I'm not going to have that big box to keep you uh, entertained and uh, focused, so I'm going to have to uh, maybe dance around every once in a while to, to get everybody's attention back up here instead of on the bird, but anyways, uh, so I'm a little bit different direction, the last minute kind of thing, and uh, I kind of was thinking about uh, going a different direction on the uh, New Testament side and talking about salvation and bringing that in with uh, Christmas. Uh, but then I just thought about how Pastor Ben has been uh, leading us up in, in Advent, in this anticipation. So I started thinking about uh, what would the Old Testament believer had, what would their anticipation be like? Um, and so I started thinking that, about that, did some research. And um, so that I was just going to tell you what my purpose for this morning is to, uh, to strengthen our appreciation and understanding of the anticipation that the Old Testament saint would have had uh, for the advent of the Messiah. So of us to kind of go back and to understand what that could have looked like a little bit, and then to strengthen 
our faith of the anticipation of uh, Messiah's second coming and all the unfulfilled promises that uh, are still out there for us to look forward to. So uh, people have been looking forward to a promised one, the anointed one, uh, since the fall, uh, since the beginning in creation. And uh, specifically, the Jewish nations have been promised uh, that the coming of this king would, be, would right Israel's wrongs. And throughout the Old Testament, he was promised to bless all the nations, but he is to proclaim to be the Jewish Messiah from the line of David. So what would it have been like for the Old Testament um, believer, uh, believer in Yahweh? What would it have been like? And how intently would the hope of the Messiah be in, in just the day-to-day -day thought? How would it have affected their lives? So I want to think about that as we uh, look through some scripture and kind of uh, try to, to understand that a little bit better. Um, someone put it this way. Every pregnant Israelite woman would wonder whether or not the child in her womb was a son, and if a son, if it might be the Messiah. Can you imagine that? I suppose that children grew up singing songs and hearing stories of the promised one, and the nation's zeal, although it would um, rise and fall, uh, looking forward to the Messiah, depending on the circumstances of the time, uh, but there was always this faithful remnant of people that would have lived a lifestyle uh, that held, and it just now dropped something on my Bible. I was wondering if that was going to happen. I was thinking it was going to be my head, but um, uh, we're all good still. Um, all right, let's see if we can get back here. Um, but there would have been this remnant that would have held tightly to this promise and so much that it would have affected their life and changed their uh, life. Do I need to throw something up there and get it away from wherever it is? <laughs> I hope it's finished. <laughs> um, anyways, so um, it would have affected their lives completely. And I think that's what we want to get out of this, trying to understand where it would have been for them, um, how it would have affected their day-to-day -day life. Uh, it would have affected it completely. And so it's kind of hard for us maybe to imagine this kind of anticipation that would change someone's life completely. Um, but we try, it seems, at least this time of year, um, to muster up some kind of expectation it's like we already know, so we're trying to feel like the expectation that they would have felt or something. Um, maybe you've been like me and you've wondered, what, what's the big deal with this Advent thing that we do and lighting candles and all that stuff? And so uh, me being able to go back and just think this through a different way has helped me this year. And so I invite you to, to kind of go into that a little bit uh, with me this morning and not just this morning, but to maybe develop that for yourself and to try to, to, to see what it would have been like. And um, that will help you in your own faith as we look forward to where, from where we are now. Um, but anyways, uh, we, like the Jews of old, have a promise that's not yet fulfilled. Uh, we have a hope deferred. Uh, the already and the not yet, as Pastor Ben has talked about. Even our salvation is spoken about is. is in the scripture, it's spoken about as being, uh, will be completed at one day. 
or in the future, but not yet. It's not yet completed. Although it is finished, the work has been finished. Uh, we are still in this process, and uh, in this process of sanctification, but our salvation will be completed one day in the future. And so there's many things that we're still looking forward to, and uh, things that have not, these promises that have not reached fulfillment. Um, things like um, this sin's death in our body, where there's no more sin, our, our future inheritance that he promises in 1 Peter 1. And um, we await the eradication of death, disease, hate, injustice, the establishment of a perfect world under a perfect ruler. All these things are still out there for us to look forward to and to anticipate. Um, but I have a question, uh, and I'll ask it again later. Does our cry of Maranatha, which Paul uses that word, which means, oh, Lord, come, uh, does that match the yearning of the Old Testament saints? Do we even have that? Is it even existent in our lives, this yearning uh, for God to fulfill his promises? Will we say, come, Lord Jesus, come? So let's look back, and uh, we're going to take an abbreviated look and just a few of the key pronouncements and uh, the allusions to the Messiah in the Old Testament. And uh, my hope is that we would gain an appreciation for how someone could wonder if their child is going to be the Messiah. Uh, and that we would even covet that same kind of expectation of the blessed hope that uh, Titus 2.11 talks about, this blessed hope that we are looking forward to. So uh, let's just let's look back, and um, you're not going to be able to turn through the scriptures as I go through this, but I'm going to uh, just go through the scriptures and starting back all the way in Genesis 3.15, we have Adam and Eve just fallen, and God has pronounced judgment on the serpent, and then mankind, woman, and and man, and then he makes this pronouncement that the seed of the woman will crushed the deceiver's head, the serpent's head, even though the serpent would bruise his heel. And we have our first um, pronunciation of this coming one, the Messiah, already at the beginning, right at the beginning from the fall. Uh, And then it goes on in a few verses later in in Genesis 3.21, where God provides animal skins to cover Adam and Eve they, were, they had been naked and they, had, they were not ashamed, but sin had opened their eyes to shame and they had covered themselves with fig leaves. And already we see that God is saying maybe two different things, that what they tried to do to cover up their sins was not sufficient. And so it wasn't necessarily just because they were leaves, but it was their way of trying to cover themselves, and God says, it's not enough. You need what I have to provide, and he provides animal skins. They are, again, alluding to blood, because where did the animals come from? They, probably, they had to die, right? So we have another illusion of the need for a blood sacrifice. Um, so we continue on, and uh, even God's mark on Cain, where Cain murders Abel, And God puts this mark on him and and says, I've already taken care of this. No one else is to hurt Cain. And I'm putting this mark on him to protect him because I have already taken care of this 
injustice and this horrible sin. Um, and it's always looking forward, and that's the point. Uh, it's always looking forward. And we'll look at that later. How does God forgive these sins? What is it based on? Um, the Abrahamic covenant. Um, we know that God chose Abraham at the time. His name was Abram, and he, but he promises a land, a descendant, uh, through whom all the nations would be blessed. So Abraham's <clears throat> going to have a, all the nations are going to be blessed from him. He's going to have a great nation that comes from him. And a descendant, a specific descendant, will be um, the one through, all, through him, all the world would be blessed. <clears throat> so here we have the, uh, this messianic hope uh, to Abraham, this promise and then uh, Abraham is like one of the, uh, the greatest heroes of the faith. And we look in Hebrews 11 and, and just see the, the strength of Abraham's faith. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But uh, he believed what God said, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. But uh, later after he promises him that, then Abraham, you know the story, some of you uh, re remember this story that... Um, Abraham is too old eventually, and, and Sarah can never have a baby, but um, now not only has she been barren for all this time, but they're now too old to have babies. Even if she could have one, they're too old. And uh, so they've tried to uh, do it their own way uh, through Sarah's handmaid and Hagar and all of that. Again, Abraham tried to do it his way, and God said, that's not good enough. I need to provide it, just as he provided for Adam and Eve. And so he provides the son. He says, no, that son is not the son of the promise. And so he allows Sarah to conceive in her old age. And so the son is born Isaac. And then after it finally seems like, okay, God's done all of these amazing things to get the son here. And he's the one. God has done this. And then God says, sacrifice him. And then Abraham goes up to, to obey God because it says in the New Testament, as we read in Hebrews, that he believed, Abraham believed God. And uh, Michelle, this is for you. He reckoned. Um, she laughed because I used that word the, last week. Um, I reckon so. Uh, but he reckoned. That means he counted it to be the case that God could even raise Isaac from the dead to make his promise happen, to fulfill this promise. Abraham believed so strongly that he was willing to kill him, knowing that God could raise Isaac from the dead or whatever he had to do to accomplish this. He trusted God so much he was willing to do that and knew that God would still fulfill his promise through Isaac somehow, by raising him from the dead even. And so... Uh, we go on to uh, Jacob, the great-grandson. And Jacob now is, his name has changed to Israel, and he has these 12 sons. And to one of the sons, he proclaims, and it's to Judah. He, he proclaims, Judah, the scepter will not depart from you, nor the ruler's staff from the descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs the one whom all nations will honor. Another allusion to the Messiah. 
and the Messiah will come through the tribe of Judah. And we go on to Moses' words. Uh, they were taken to be messianic when he quoted God saying, I will raise another prophet like you to speak my words in Deuteronomy. Uh, even the prophet uh, Balaam, who was a pagan prophet, some of you remember that story uh, about the talk, talking donkey and all that stuff. Well, Balaam, inspired by God, even though he was a pagan prophet, said this, a star shall come forth from Jacob and a scepter shall rise from Israel. That's in, that's in Numbers 24. Then we look forward to uh, when and the children of Israel out in the wilderness and they have disobeyed God and God sends these snakes among them and they, uh, they get bit and they're going to die from the poison. And uh, God has Moses to put up this pole with a serpent, a bronze serpent on it. And he tells them that if they'll obey and trust God and his decree to simply look upon the pole, then they will be healed this obedience, but this, this pole. And uh, even later on, Jesus says that he would be lifted up on a pole and that uh, if anybody would look on him, that they would be saved. Uh, so we have another allusion to the Messiah with that bronze serpent uh, and people being saved by looking upon it. Then we look at the Passover after the, the Israelites are leaving Egypt. God is delivering them. And, uh, oh, it's right before, excuse me. And this is like the final straw. Uh, all the, the plagues have happened, and then God's taking the firstborn son of any of the families that do not have the blood over the doorpost. And so the Passover is a, another allusion to this coming one whose blood would redeem us. And, uh, the sacrificial system itself later on that set up um, with Moses uh, getting the law from God and coming down and, and the sacrificial system set up and, and the system as a whole demonstrated the need for innocent life to be taken in the place of the guilty uh, and therefore a, a need for this, this one to come. And um, then we're going to move on to David. David was told by God that his throne would be established forever. And from that time, uh, it was known that Messiah was called the son of David. That one day this coming one would sit on the throne of David and would rule uh, Israel and the nations. So uh, we continue in that Psalm, David, David and Solomon, uh, this, the writers of the Psalms, uh, and, and there's various ones. Some of you uh, would remember quite a few of the Psalms that uh, have detailed accounts of the Messiah's coming, his suffering, uh, the establishment of his kingdom and other things. So the Psalms are full of these uh, messianic Psalms uh, just alluding to this Messiah. So we've gone through a lot of these quickly. And then, of course, the prophets the prophets are talking over and over and over about Messiah. And uh, they're proclaiming judgment for sins on the nation of Israel and Judah and the surrounding nations. But then they're always coming back to this hope of restoration of this coming one who will come and restore all things and rule over Israel and will be a just king. And 
So the prophets are speaking about this constantly. So if we see that, that God has started the beginning of time when man fell and he's proclaimed this coming one, and then he continues to um, add more and more to the story to help us understand who Messiah would be and, and to understand more of what it would be like, his rule would be like, um, the, the longer time goes by, he keeps speaking into this and, and reaffirming this, that this coming one will be here and will restore everything. And so now we start to imagine if this had happened through thousands and thousands of years, all the stories that these Old Testament saints would have grown up with hearing these things, um, it would have been something that would have changed their lives if they really believed God. They would have lived differently based on this, looking for this hope, wondering, is it going to be my son? Is it, could it be this person? Um, always just knowing that it could be right around the corner. Hope. And then the joy that would come from that, knowing that God was going to to make everything right, especially when things were very, very bad. Uh, so I want to look at um, some things, four things, um, that helps us to understand what, what it would have been like for this Old Testament saint. So what did the revelation of the coming Messiah mean to the ancient Hebrew? We give you four things and then four parallels that it can mean for us. Okay, so first, it would mean encouragement. The, the revelation, knowing about the Messiah, would have given them encouragement. Uh, it gave the world a hopeless, the world of hopeless fallen mankind, the hope of redemption. It meant promised light coming into the darkness that they were experiencing. It was good news in the midst of bad. So, in their worst times, it would have given them encouragement to look forward to this one coming. In fact, when everything was good, we know this about the nation of Israel, what did they end up doing? They ended up leaving God and not worshiping him. When things got bad, then they started looking for this hope again and thinking about this coming one. So it would have been a sense of encouragement when things were really bad. Uh, two, it was the basis of their faith, um, the revelation of the coming Messiah was the basis of their faith. It was a belief that God spoke and that he only spoke truth. So his promises were as good as done. It was basically the gospel of the Old Testament. In Hebrews, 20, uh, in Hebrews 11, we have that great hall of faith with all the saints, and we uh, read about how they believed God. And, of course, Abraham's the one that stands out to me, even though there's a lot of good ones as you read through that, and I encourage you to go through and read those to understand their faith, the Old Testament saints, how strong their faith was. Just when God would say something, they believed it as if it was already done. Um, but in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. It says this, I love this. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. And check this out, listen to this. 
He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who was invisible. He wasn't worried about death or anything else. We can have our eyes on the one who is invisible. We can believe a God that promises impossible things. Moses did that. Abraham did that. So many others. And he's encouraging us to do the same. But it, so it was the basis of their faith, what God has spoken of this coming one. Uh, and it says that in the case of Abraham, it says it very clearly that Abraham believed in, so it was counted unto him as righteousness. So it was the basis of their faith. He believed what God had spoken would happen just as if it was already done. And so it could be said this way. Abraham counted God's promise as good as done, and so God counted unto him his righteousness. So it gave the world hope uh, back then for the uh, ancient Jew. It was the basis of their faith. It was basically the gospel of the Old Testament. Number three is the motivation. It gave an ideal for the, nation, for the national existence and a standard of individual behavior. So it was based on the Messiah's character, who he was supposed to be, who the, the prophets and all of these other allusions to the Messiah, what they said that he would be in the, in the nature of his rule. That is, that he would care for the afflicted, he would rescue the oppressed, he would establish peace, uh, he would judge impartially and bring an end to injustice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so they saw what Messiah would be, and so it gave them kind of a motivation to, to act the same way, to know that, that God was this kind of God and the Messiah would come and bring this kind of kingdom and rule this way and be this kind of person. It kind of motivated them to uh, live a certain way. And then fourth, it provided substance for worship. It showed them the necessity of worshiping and it informed it how to worship. Based on what they had read, what they had learned from these Old Testament scriptures, uh, dignitaries and others knew to worship the baby when they came and they beheld the Messiah. Oh, and they knew that it said that he was the almighty God, the mighty God in, in Isaiah 9. And then uh, in, in the Psalms that it said that, that he was God, and Jesus even quoted this, that the Lord said unto my Lord, and so how am I um, lesser? Because I'm a son of David does not mean it's lesser. In fact, David says himself, the Lord said unto my Lord. So they knew that he was God, and so uh, it would have given them the basis for worshiping this Messiah. Uh, so in conclusion of those four things, the knowledge and therefore the anticipation of the Messiah shaped the entire life of the Old Testament believers. It shaped their whole lives. So what parallels can we draw from their confident expectation? And what should ours be? So look at the same four things. Encouragement, first of all. The fulfillment of their expectation encourages us uh, by strengthening our hope that the yet unfulfilled promises that we look forward to 
or likewise as good as done. See, many of the messianic prophecies speak of both the first and second coming of Messiah. And that's important because roughly only about half of the prophecies about the Messiah have been fulfilled, which means the rest of them are still yet to be fulfilled, and we are still looking forward to those things. And by the way, the humble king thing, the riding on a donkey thing, it's already happened. The defeat, the seeming defeat and death and the gloomy parts, it's already happened. The rest of it, it's now uh, Jesus returning in his glory, not on a donkey, but on a charger for war. Uh, those things are still to come. So seeing their faith becomes reality, or seeing, it, seeing their faith become a reality, seeing the Messiah come and be born, um, it gives us the confidence that our biblically grounded hopes and beliefs about the future will also be realized. So the basis of faith um, it's the same now as it was back then. So it's, it's reckoning God's word to be true. All right, so I, let me read that verse to you again. This is my version. Um, Abraham counted God's promise as good as done. And so God counted it unto him as righteousness. So our basis of faith is the very same in the fact that we are supposed to count whatever God says as good as done. And uh, so Jesus could even say this, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. This is the Messiah that Abraham has just promised thousands of years before. And yet it says that Abraham saw his day and rejoiced. How did he see it? The same way Moses could see the invisible God. He kept his eyes on the invisible. He could see things that didn't seem to be there. Might want to step back on it. He's right there. We're good. Um, so this is the kind of faith that we're talking about here. So the basis of our faith is the same, that we trust God as if it's already done, whatever he says. All right, so we're winding down, so don't, don't leave me yet. The task of faith from the very beginning of human existence until the new beginning, when it arrives, that we're looking forward to, the task of our faith is to remember God's faithfulness from the past. Remember, look back and, and to to remember and know that you have seen God work. You've seen his faithfulness. So we remember that. We hold on to that. And then we realize that he's working now, even when we can't see it, because we have experienced that. We've seen what he's done. And so we trust that he is working. He says that he's working. Even when we can't see it, we believe it, though, just like it's already been done and we've already experienced it. So we hold on to those things in the faith and we trust that he's working in the past. And then we realize um, not only is he working now, but we look forward to, with confident expectation to the fulfillment of all, of all the promises that are still out there. 
That's the task of our faith. To believe like it's already been done and we've already experienced it. It's believing what God says as if it's already done. We've experienced it personally. And if we can't believe God about the future, how can we believe him about the present? It's the same. If, if these Old Testament believers were able to have their lives completely changed and live based on a promise that was given to them, that they, they never knew if it was going to happen today, the next day, or as it, it was hundreds and hundreds of years later, their belief was the same. Their trust in God was the same because it was as good as already done. So three, uh, the, our motivation. Our expectation, like theirs, should spur us on to love and good works, both as a church and as individuals. Uh, a true and living faith produces works. Uh, and so it's never the, the opposite. In fact, uh, let me just read 2 Peter 3.11. It says this. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along, on that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. See, that's just something that's still in the future that we're looking forward to. But we're looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he's promised and a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends... Because we have this great hope, while you're waiting on these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. So it should be a motivation for us as well uh, to live the life that is pleasing to God. Uh, and then fourthly, worship. We're invited to worship the humble king in a manger. Yes as we look forward to that now in celebration of that first coming. He rode into Jerusalem shortly afterwards on, the, on that young donkey, but he is coming back on that horse, the charger for war, in the clouds. He's that same Messiah. We're looking forward to that second coming. And so we're invited to worship him as he was, as he is, as he, how he will be, and it's always the same because God doesn't change. So in conclusion to those four and how that it should affect our lives, the knowledge and therefore the anticipation of Christ's return should completely shape our lives and determine the way we live and the choices that we make. If it's not affecting the choices that you make about your life, and you're missing it. We need to long to have the kind of faith that these Old Testament saints, like Abraham and Moses and so many others had, believing God that what he says is true, even if it hasn't come to pass, believing it just as if it's already been done and we've experienced it. So, sadly... I looked into this, and I mean, I, I've known this, but I wanted to understand more of uh, today how the Jews look at Jesus and what their 
anticipation of Messiah, because I know that a lot of them are still looking for it. So uh, check this out. Um, I, I went to a Jewish website, and so this is coming straight from their website, and it says that uh, some are looking for the Messiah still, a, a person who will come and be that personal Messiah, or some just see it as a symbolic thing. Uh, it's like a coming messianic age, and it's like supposed to be brought on by good Jews doing good works. And by them being good enough and enough of them being good enough, they can bring the Messiah back. Or they can bring about this messianic age. And so there's not necessarily a Messiah, as we've thought about this person who will come from God. But it's just this, um, this time where things are going to be good because so many people are good. And God's going to bless that somehow. Um, and others believe that there's a Messiah born every generation. So every generation since uh, God has proclaimed that a Messiah will come, there has been someone who was born that God had chosen, and he basically says, you're to be the Messiah if they are good enough, if they are worthy, if they're willing to really bow the knee and follow you. Is Messiah. So there's been a lot of potential Messiahs born, and there are every generation. And the Messiahs, each one is just waiting for the Jewish nation to, uh, to be worthy enough for him to come out and to actually lead them. Uh, so, so some different kind of thinking there um, from the, the Jew today. Uh, and I just think about that, and it's, it's sad to think about. There's so many of God's chosen people from the Old Testament, his chosen people, the nation of Israel, who are blinded, and Scripture even tells us that. Uh, I had the privilege of knowing a Messianic Jew. I, I worked with him at the sign shop that I was at uh, several years ago, and uh, it was a it was a awesome thing to actually know a, a Jewish believer and to hear him talk, and uh, it's a sad thing though that there's so many Jews who are uh, deceived and missed the Messiah, and that phone only rings when uh, there's. You get, get that? Well, we've got birds. In fact, he might be up by now, so now we've got to have another distraction. Uh, is he still in here? He's still in here? So we, all right, well, we're going to keep working through them, though. Um, so we think about how, how they've been deceived and how they're believing a lie, uh, but perhaps even some of us, some of you who are watching, you've been led astray. Uh, the true meaning of the season has escaped you. Uh, but see, the gospel hasn't changed, even from the Old Testament days. It's just been clarified. We now know who the Messiah is. But it's still about taking Yahweh at his word. So as we speak of the already and not yet, we see God in the past Check this out. God is, in a sense, 
is he's asking us to do to look forward and to see things just as if they've already happened. God did the same. It says in, um, in Romans chapter 5 and 25 that God, in a sense, overlooked the sins in the past before Jesus. He overlooked them. He allowed them, their sins, to be passed over in a sense. If they believed in God, even though they did not know about Jesus, but if they trusted him and what he said about the Messiah and that he would uh, come and make everything right, that he counted it unto them as righteousness based on Jesus coming and being that sacrificial lamb. So God, in a sense, back in the Old Testament, is looking forward to this happening. In fact, it says that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world in, in Revelation. So even God is looking forward to this time and counting uh, even the Old Testament saints as righteousness based on what Christ would eventually do in time. So he was able to forgive their sins because uh, in the past, for the, looking forward to this once and for all sacrifice of the Messiah, just like it was good as it was already done. So in closing, I want to say this. When God speaks, it's as good as done. This is what it meant for the Old Testament Jew to long for the Messiah. It's the same kind of faith that he's asking us to exercise the object is crucial. Jesus himself said that those who worship God must worship him truly and according to the truth of who he is. Then he says that I'm the only way. So we join with the saints of Hebrews 11, those Old Testament saints, with a faith that believes God, no matter how impossible or improbable it seems, then it can be said of us, the same as it was said about Abraham, that we counted God's promises as good as done. Therefore, he counted unto us as righteousness. So then I ask you these questions. Does your cry of Maranatha, O Lord, come? Does it match the yearning of the Old Testament saints? Or Paul's exclamation in 1 Corinthians 6, when he says, so that's where he says, Maranatha, or come, Lord Jesus. And then in Revelation 22, John says, he closes up the book of Revelation saying, Jesus says, I'm coming. And then John says, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Is that your expectation? Do you really look forward to that time? Do you really trust the promises that he has for us for today? And giving you the power to live the life that is pleasing to him and all the other promises that he's given us that should affect our lives completely and all of our choices should be based on the promises that he's given us. Do we have that same kind of faith? Are we looking forward to him coming? And I'm going to read this verse that kind of sums this up in Hebrews 6, 18. So God has given both his promise and his oath 
These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. Lord, strengthen our faith. Help us to get this greater appreciation for what Advent would have meant for these Old Testament saints looking for the Messiah in anticipation. May you strengthen our faith to be more like that and that we believe whatever you say as if it's already been done. It's as good as it's already done. You cannot lie. We can have confidence in that. May that affect our lives and change every aspect of our lives and every choice that we make because we believe what you say to be true as if it's already happened, even if it hasn't. May we be able to trust you in our daily lives to give up our will to your spirit, trust your power, to give us the strength to do what pleases you. Thank you. And thank you for it all in the name of the Messiah, Jesus. Amen.